Welcome to The Hoop Commitment. I'm your host, Mike Nielsen. Join me every week to get inside the greatest minds in basketball nutrition, training, and leadership to elevate your game and improve the way you eat, train, and lead. Welcome to episode 55. Was anyone brave enough to take the 30-day sacrifice challenge that I talked about last episode? Well, my wife and I just completed another week of sacrifice, and she's down another pound, and I'm up another pound, which might not seem like a lot, but that's the magic of commitment. Day by day, you don't see any difference. And week by week, you notice what only might seem like an insignificant change. But month by month, all those small sacrifices add up to something that's life-changing. We all know that 2021 is coming whether we prepare for it or not. So do yourself a favor and start your commitment today. Go to hoopcommitment.com, download your free commitment calendar, hang it on your wall, and start building your chain of success. With every X, you gain experience and confidence that can only be earned through hard work. Now how pumped are you to have the NBA playoffs back in our lives? As the LA Clippers head into Game 7 of the Western Conference Semifinals, I was able to catch up with their head strength and conditioning coach, Daniel Shapiro. We became friends through the GIFT program, which is the Grand Institute's 40-week fellowship in applied functional science. Although Daniel is only in his 40s, he's been an NBA strength coach for almost 25 years. He started as an assistant with the Sonics, then worked in college athletics as the head strength coach for Dayton basketball, back to the NBA as the head strength coach for the Sacramento Kings, then back again to college as the director of basketball athletic performance for the University of Washington, And now he's been with the Clippers for three years. Now, one of my mentors told me that basketball is a game of quickness and balance. And so I wanted to pick Daniel's brain on what quickness on the court means to him and how he trains his players to be shifty. In today's episode, he shares his favorite quickness exercises, how training NBA players is different than high school and college athletes, and how he tests agility and quickness. Here's Daniel Shapiro. Daniel, welcome to the Hoop Commitment Podcast. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me, Mike. Happy to be here. Well, congrats on a big win last night. So I really appreciate you taking the time. I know that you've been in the bubble for a long time. So tell me a little bit what it's like being an NBA strength coach during the playoffs. Well, you know, during the playoffs, this obviously has a different, you know, you add being a strength coach in the playoffs in the bubble. So now you got a, another kind of weird element that kind of changes things. You know, obviously I don't have the support of my family around me every day, but being a strength coach in the bubble, in the playoffs now, is like we've been here now 62 days with each other. Us 35 came down here together. We're with each other every day. So we have a really close knit. I've definitely, not just through this, but also through the the hiatus of the quarantine of the COVID during that time, um, I got really close to a lot of the players. You got closer to players and staff and you had opportunity to um, kind of put the regular season aside. And we really have been really focused on like, hey, listen, if we're going to come back, let's come back and do something. So we, we had this uh, motto, the Clippers called win the weight. And we have shirts and our mantra, if you will, during this whole time since we stopped back in March. So now it's, we're putting winning the weight into, into motion. And we've seen, you know, we won last night. We're up 2-1. And um, we're kind of in a, in a groove now of, of a schedule. You know, there's no travel, you know, for, you know, you don't have the fatigue of travel. You more have the fatigue of seeing the same thing every day. You know, the food can get old. You know, there's a lot of things that goes on with being the bubble that's not usually really an obstacle for us outside. But that's kind of the long uh, answer. But I'll tell you, honestly, 
I'm blessed. I'm happy. And as a strength coach, as a trainer, as a equipment manager, as a whoever you are on the team, you're in this thing for the relationships. But at the end of the day, you've got to win. You want to win. And this is a great opportunity we're sitting on right now. And hopefully we can capitalize on it. And you've been in this game for a long time. Now, I want to say you're young because you're my age. Yes. You've been an NBA strength coach for how many years? I've been doing strength and conditioning NBA for 18 years. This is my 18th season. This is my 11th as a head and I had seven as an assistant with the Sonic from 96 to 03. What's the differences between being a strength coach at the college level versus in the NBA? Oh man, so many differences. It's, I've done like hour-long presentations on this because I, I literally went NBA, college, NBA, college, back to the NBA. I went Sonics, Dayton, Kings, University of Washington, now Clippers. So I'm probably one of the best guys out there to talk about that topic. But I'll tell you this, the biggest thing is the first thing people understand is there are two completely different jobs. Your training schedule, your training format, your travel, even just the environment is different and how you motivate is different. And, and the type of work you get in, because the, in the NBA, we're with the elite of the elite of you have in college. We're in college, you know, unless you're at Kentucky or one of Kansas or one of the or a Gonzaga or one of these teams, you know, you know, you have three to four pros on a team. But other than that, you probably have one pro or two, maybe a second pro and everybody else are not as the elite athletes or athletic with the skill of the guys that who are pros. So you're definitely tailoring your training to a different population in the NBA than you would in college. One of the key attributes of being a great basketball player is quickness. And so I know we've, we've talked offline a little bit about quickness. Mm-hmm. I would love to get your take on how important quickness is and maybe even what that means to you as a basketball player. Because I think in our listeners' mind, in my mind, we might think quickness of just a general overall trait, you know. But there are some, some specific ways to be able to express that trait in the game of basketball. Correct. And I think, you know, quickness, to be able to be quick, right? We talk about agility. We talk about being powerful, you know, all these things go, all these attributes go in the same conversation because you have speed, because there has to be no even a speed and quickness. But the biggest thing that I see, <laughs> I was briefly talking offline, is in the NBA, one of the biggest, one a very great attribute is for, the, especially for some of those who are not so quick, is to be perceived as quick because that's coming off slow and quickly going from first to fourth or second to fifth, or first to third, because I know uh, there's a lot of, what's the word I'm trying to think of, but everybody in the NBA is pretty quick. And the way you become really quick is, you know, and this is such a funny word, man, you and I are like quick, because let's talk about quickness as, how would you define quick? How would the coaches out there define quick? How fast you can change, because agile would be more, how quick can you change direction or change from one movement to another? But quick is maybe that little moment of, where that change occurs or how fast can you do one thing and do something else very fast right after that. And whether it be going from backpedaling to sprinting, to jumping, to sliding, to drop step, to recovering and, or to defending, to stealing the ball and then being the off the offensive man. A lot of that is you can train. I know I'm going all over the place, Mike, with this, but I think we can talk about how you train it, but it's, I think with basketball specifically, the skill and your ability to, like you mentioned, control on the offensive side, how well you're able to handle the ball will determine how quick you can be. If you're too quick and you can't do it with the ball, your quickness means nothing on offense with the ball. But then as an offensive player getting open, how quick, how well can you deceive somebody if you're working at 70%, they think you're at 100, but you're at 70, and then you show them you're 100, and then, then you get separated, you get the ball, or you get that separation where you have an open shot. 
or is quickness as a defender, how well as a skill or is your basketball cue that I'm just able to anticipate better how to get to the spot? Because I'll tell you what, you know, Jokic said it himself that they who were playing, he said he's so patient because he just knows he's not a very fast runner. But for some reason, he gets to the spot defensively very quick, but he's not very fast. But he gets to these spots because he anticipates, he sees things happening before they do, and that would just made him a respectable defender in this league. But that's why I think that word quick, I look at it from so many different ways. I look at it as an actual athletic trait, and I look at it as a skill in the sport of basketball as something different. Because, you know, the way we can train to be quick is obviously we can work on power training, you work on strength as well. I think strength, you know, you can't be too powerful or too quick without some level of strength. Then, you know, we can do things to work on quickness and being agility. We can do any, you know, there's a million ladder cone drills. Uh, we can get in resistant bands, you know, the Raptors. And there's a lot of different things you can do to work on that trait itself. But at the end of the day, it's how do you combine that with the skill of basketball and the IQ of basketball? Because unfortunately, uh, you've probably seen it as well in college in high school. Some of the best athletes just sometimes don't fill the stat sheet or look that quick out there. But you put them on, like, I'll give you a good example of a former player that we had and you had, Nigel williams Goss. Um, I had Nigel University of Washington his first two years, and you guys had it. And there's a guy who really does not look very athletic. And I don't know if you remember, but but he ended up having one of his, one of the fastest lane agility or pro lane at the combine in the NBA of, of all the guards. But we know he's not the fastest. He doesn't jump the highest. But he showed out to be very quick and do very well in, in the test. So quickness is a very fun and interesting topic. I think specifically on defense, that positioning is so important. You know, I was not the quickest athlete, but I felt like I was a successful defender because as the offensive player would make a move or start positioning themselves, I felt like I kind of understood where I was supposed to change and position where sometimes when you, you know, I'll still get out in the court and, and play with guys that are more athletic than me and I'll start jabbing and kind of feeling them out and they don't adjust. And so that makes right. me look really quick, makes them look slow because they put themselves out of position. So I think about, you know, the skill training piece of that seems really important. As a strength coach, I know at your level, you have so many guys or so many people that work in specific areas. And you were telling me you have yes. someone that is a nutritionist. Well, at the division one level, I do a lot of stuff for athletes, you know, Absolutely. I'm a leadership person and I'm the strength coach and I'm also yeah. the mobility person and I'm the nutritionist. Are you doing stuff at that level where you're actually maybe talking to guys about positioning or is that actually yes. the, the sport coach? We are. This is one thing we haven't touched on is film. In the NBA, before we see an opponent, by the NBA, these players have played. Like you and I, Mike, let's say you and I, you're, you know, I'm playing for the Lakers, you're playing for the Sonics. Let's say back when there was a team, Sonics. Let's say, so we're, we're playing against each other. If you and I are 15-year vets in the NBA, you and I have played each other probably at some point in high school in some type of tournament, we played or seen each other in college. So there's not the surprise element as much as surprise element that you might have with teams in high school and college that play because they maybe seen somebody once or twice. So they're still testing them on the basketball court itself. So what's happening with in the NBA, what's a little different is these guys know their opponent so well. They know who's more athletic. They know that they have to, you know, this guy's, I'm going to go up against somebody who's so much more athletic to me. So my quickness, I could train it all I want, but this guy's going to be quicker than me. So then now I start looking at the skill and positioning. What can I do to put myself in those positions? So my lack of quickness isn't exposed. And that's where film is a really big part of the NBA. And then what we do from the performance side, what we've done here at the Clippers too, is we see this film. We see what 
just habits and traits that guys are doing. And we'll now take it, what can we do in the performance room to try to improve that? So, you know, sometimes it's talking to a player, hey, hey, listen, we're watching film. We're noticing you're not even putting your hands up when you're in the helper position. So now you don't even get to, you're not able to use your arms to propel you to help you get to where you got to go. So we're going to do a couple skills here, throw them in with uh, a vector band. I've, you know, done a lot of that and worked a lot with uh, Todd Wright, who works with us as well, with getting the vector band and the Raptors. And we'll try to take very basketball-specific movements and throw them with some resistance, try to coach them up on the things that we notice that are maybe not just we notice, but the coaches are noticing and showing us that, man, they're not putting their hands up. You know, they're not doing a good job of controlling a ball that's far within their reach. So what are the things that we can do, uh, not just on the quickness, but that was, you know, a different skill, but maybe, you know, what are some things that we can do to try to improve that in the film, the crossover, and trying to work with that as far as the quickness or trying to improve the ability to not get lost out of position. Is That's kind of film is a big role in that. So give me some specifics of what that might look like, because I think, you know, for the average person, we're going to think about stuff in the NBA being so high tech and maybe out of our league. But I also know that a guy like you, you're anchored in principles and mm-hmm. you've been in the NBA for, you know, for that many seasons you're going to know the tried and true exercises. And yeah. sometimes it's going to seem a little weird because on social media, you might see all of these crazy, complicated exercises. And I might look at your training program. and I'm like, he's doing a lunge? What? Like yeah. the dumbbells? So tell yeah. me, what, what are some of the exercises you might choose to help people get maybe quicker on defense? Well, the first thing is, you know, I can't say this enough. For those who have kids out there who are working, is like, that's one thing to work on quickness. And we can work on some of these things we'll talk about. But the biggest thing is first, I think you have the first attribute you got to have is strength. You you have to supplement with strength training because to have the strength, not just from, you know, th- that's your work capacity. You got to build your work capacity through strength, strength and power. So I think strength and power, I think weight room is very important. But then when you get to the quickness to fine tune, when you get, because you can take a regular athlete, never do any quickness training, never do any type of plyo training. But if you really just get that athlete stronger and train them with a good periodized program, they will improve. It is proven. They'll improve in all those areas. They'll become faster. They'll jump higher. And they'll be quicker. and They'll be more agile if they have more strength, period. Then you got to fine tune them. And then we get to that. So something simple as, as very specific to basketball, where now we're taking an athlete that is exposed to the weight room. I might do this as a separate session. I might do it as part of their weight training or at the end of the workout. So now we're going to take, we're going to work in the frontal plane. We're going to work, we're going to work on defensive sliding. We're going to work on you got beat. You got beat. Now you got to recover. So I might put them on a band with, you know, they have a resistance coming on one side. We'll start with the one step drive. So we want to work on the fundamentals and the principles of really driving big toe through the ground, pushing through, separating through the ground to try to get some, some horizontal displacement. So then we can work on that. Then I say, okay, well now the way I relate to the player, I say, okay, now, you know, whatever your rep and set range is, but now let's, we'll add a repetitive. Let's go two slides. I'm giving them resistance the entire time. And I'll backtrack a little. I'm a big believer in rare training, R-A-R-E. If you're probably a lot of people, you know, I would take a skill. I'll do it with resistance. Then I'll do my A, which is assistance. And then I want them to get, you know, I want them to feel it regular, R-A-R-E. So that's kind of a tool that I've kind of used a lot with athletes and have studied this, the rare training principle, resisted, assisted, and then regular. So they can kind of ramp up to knowing because, you know, in a game, they're not going to have resistance. And in a game, they're not going to have assistance. But they need to be able to 
teach their teach their system how to work biomechanically correct after they've had those outside influences on their body. So here we talked about, sorry, I kind of got a little off track, but if we're in a, so then I might tell a guy, okay, now you got beat. I'm going to have you, let's say I have you now in the band in front. I'm resisting. Now I need you to drop step and crossover step because now you got beat. Once you get beat, you're not going to keep defensive sliding. You got to run and sprint and get over. It might be just something as simple as, we're, you know, we're doing first steps. We'll do like, you know, we'll do three or four. We're driving off that outside leg. Well, then that inside leg, and then it might be step they beat that I'm having them cross over and then we're working on a crossover step. It's just really going back to the nuts and bolts and the principles of what the biomechanics and the footwork that needs to be, because if we can work on that footwork and they can get better at the footwork, get better at the strength of the footwork, then hopefully once they just kind of anticipate and see things that they develop on the court, hopefully they all just kind of mesh together and you have a quicker athlete. Tell me a little bit about offense because on defense, although, of course, you're trying to be able to, you have a defensive scheme, you might be trying to force a player a certain way, but a lot of it is having to adapt to the move they're making where on offense, you might have some more autonomy, some more freedom, some more control over what you're Mm going to do. And I think about not even quickness being as important as change of pace. Change of pace. That was what I was trying to get exactly. First to third, second to fifth, the change of pace. That was what we were talking about. Coming off the screen, that's a big one with guards. Well, obviously, always on offense is where that's so big is. You know, one of the best guys at that that I had an opportunity to coach was Isaiah Thomas. Little Isaiah Thomas. I'm not that old. But little Isaiah Thomas, you know, he uh, he was so good at, like, dribbling, like, so slow and then going so slow to really fast or just being able to coming off a pick for a little guy like that to get open, especially after, you know, he has, you know, hip work and, you know, once you get beat up in the NBA – Now it's all about change of pace. If I'm going to get open, I'm not going to get open by going 100% around the screen all the way around because, you know, your competitors are so athletic, they can keep up with you, but it's be able to psych them out that you're going to go this speed and then either maybe cut really fast back door or they think I'm going full speed, but then I turn it up, you know, change that pace more. Now I can kind of establish that distance, but it's definitely a skill. And I think some people are better at it than others. Of course, when you're dealing with a point guard like them, like, like Isaiah, you're dealing with somebody who has really great handles of the ball, which is the you, you can be as quick as you want, but it, you can't handle the ball. If, it, if the ball ain't going with you, you're, you're turning the ball over and you, you got to move on. But change of pace is a really big one that you don't see, you know, a lot because I think at grassroots level, you're always taught, you know, to go hard in everything you do. And so I think a lot of kids in high school, just, you know, high school, junior high, whatever it might be, they're just so used to doing a cross screen or if somebody's coming to set a pick for you to run as fast as you can around that pick and then get open. Well, that's just not going to work because people know it's coming. People might be as athletic as you. So you're going to have to find out how can I get that separation? It's going to be changing a pace or breaking the, or this where skill comes out, reading the defender. They're going to beat you to the spot. Now I'm just going to back cut and just hit me with the pass back door instead of waiting for me to come out on the, on the wing for a pass. So of course that goes into, you know, obviously more specific to basketball, but you got it. Change of pace is a big one. And, and you see a lot of that in the NBA. Are there any exercises or drills that would be helpful? You know, we, you talked about the rare training. I like that. I, of course, I use those principles, but I never heard it called rare before. So I'm already yeah. taking notes. I'd love that. You know, on yeah. defense, I could see where that would be really beneficial. Can those same principles be applied on offense or is it something different because it's more related towards change of pace? No, no. Like if I'm a basketball player, if I'm even just working on speed with the basketball, if I'm already got a pretty good hand on the ball, man, are you kidding me? It's like overspeed running training. You know, like I'll have, you can put me in the Raptor in a training. I'm going to have to go Right hand dribbles, we'll go, I can do five sprints, two decelerations, five sprints, two decelerations. That, okay, now let's go with the other hand. Left five, back two, five, two, but being resisted now, 
Now what I'm going to do is have as a point guard or a wing, it doesn't even have to be a point guard. Now I want you in front of me. So now you're going to assist me. So now I'm running. I'm doing my acceleration with overspeed. You're, you're pulling me. You're assisting me. So now I got to really work on my deceleration because the better I am at deceleration, the better decelerating I am, the better I can be in changing directions and changing my pace. So now I'm getting what I was working to accelerate with the band behind me. I'm now working to de decelerate within in front of me. So now maybe it's five and two. So now when I'm doing my deceleration, I'm trying to backpedal. Now I'm backpedaling with assistance as opposed to when before I was backpedaling with assistance, right? Five, two, I just call them five twos. And then of course, and then I would just say, take the band off. Now do the exact same thing without the band. That's a simple, just a simple as that five, two. Keep it, keep it. And then, you know, and then the next step is five, back pedal two, cross five, two, cross five, two. You know, just start maybe all right hand. And then each time you back pedal two, maybe that's a cross. Maybe back two, maybe it's a drop, spin, dribble. Now you're coming. I mean, get as creative if you want on that, but you can resist at the waist. You can do different resistance. You know, you can get crazy and get resistance in the hands. You know, I've seen people do now. There's all kinds of fun stuff. You can have weighted hands, weighted mitts and gloves and I mean, as crazy as you want to be, but I think the center of mass, when you're really controlling your center of mass, I think that's the most important part because that's really where most of your accelerated deceleration is going to come from. At least that's where your energy is going to transfer through. So if you can get, you know, right around the waist and be able to do resisted running, assisted running, assisted sliding, resisted assisted jumping, like another great jumping one is like, you know, we do, you know, we'll have guys, I do this sometimes off season as well, man, we'll do dumbbell jump squats with holding dumbbells on the side, then drop them. I have them hold bands high and then do assisted jumps where the bands are kind of helping them that they feel like, you know, you get like all this airtime, but you're teaching your system. You're teaching your central nervous system what you want to happen. You, you're fooling your body thinking, oh, wow, I can jump this high. This kind of effort can put me this high. And then you just finish it with your body weight. And I'm a big rare training guy. Where do things like jump rope, agility ladder, these low-level plyometrics where you can kind of accumulate work, are those part of program design? And if they're not, would they be appropriate for a high schooler? Yeah, you know, high schoolers are, shouldn't be doing the same thing to NBA players unless they've had the amount of training they have because it all comes down to training age. And the things you talk about, agility ladders, jump rope, those are things that are skill-wise easier to do at an earlier age. But believe it or not, we got a player that has jump rope before every game. And I have a player who I bring out a ladder every day. And right before he uses it as a warm up to get his feet going and he kind of just get fired up the central nervous system right before, right before the tip off. But those are elementary. I would, I would call them, they're, they're fundamental, but yet I think they have a place. I think with jump rope, we've used it a lot for conditioning. It's a low level plyometric, you know, I mean, you can, I think it's good for coordination. It's great for conditioning. I think it's good to help work on people trying to stay light on the balls of their feet. We had a player that just before always was so flat-footed. He was never felt bouncy. So we just said, man, you're jump roping every day for a minute, minute and a half. I just want you to get used to, just get used to being light and quick on your feet. I like using it for a tool like that. I'll put it in some type of cross training as well. But by, is it a real staple in the NBA? Probably not. But would it be staple with a 13-year-old? Absolutely. Because the more you can, the more you can show proficiency in something as simple as that and the coordination of jumping and be able to do different foot patterns, then maybe we'll take you outside of the jump rope and now we'll put a medicine ball in your hand. Now we'll kind of add a little more load and resistance to you and do other similar jumps or movements where we're trying to work on maybe moderate level plyometrics. Now we can get to more, you know, then you get to your depth jumps and drop jumps and things like that where, you know, kind of more bang for where you really need to be stronger and more experienced. 
well, you've got to train the 18 to 22 year olds at the college level. And even some of your rookies come in that are going to be that age. So what would your wish for high school players? What kind of skills would you want them to have or physical attributes that they could work on? So when you get them, they're going to be prepared. And so, you know, maybe just the idea of what do you want them doing? Simple lunges, squats, presses, pulls. What would a workout look like? Oh, man, I tell you what, you, you said it, that L word, the lunges, it, single leg work is so important. Like, you know, back in the olden days with just the big squats, back squats, front squats. But at the end of the day, a lot of times your body will find ways to, unless you're really good at them, but unless you're really good at those movements, sure, you can do them. But nowadays with sports science, like we see a guy who can be so good at it, but once you put them on a force plate, we see that they look great, but man, they're putting 20% more force into the ground on their left foot than they are on their right. So we have an asymmetry here we need to work on. So we can work on that through single leg squatting work, single leg lunging, step ups, things that are closed chain single leg exercises. So I've, for young kids coming into high schools and college settings, I'm really big on all types of lunges, whether it be split lunges, um, multi-planar lunges, uh, lunge matrices where with different type of drivers, things that are both functional, but also kind of adds a different load into their system to, you know, just so they get a little different chain reaction on what we're kind of looking them to, what kind of force and what kind of plane we want them to produce force. Like, you know, I was just having guys today doing one arm dumbbell, something I had NBA players doing a lateral lunge, one arm dumbbell coming across, hitting the inside foot, and then coming out to a press. You know, something simple like that, but yet it transfers over into the sport of basketball. But lunging is a big one. You know, make sure they're doing their, their, their mechanics are correct. Lunge is a good one. Even single leg squats is a good one. Like even rear elevated split squats, rear elevated squat, hamstring work, posterior work, posterior chains, a big one, whether that be deadlift, single leg deadlifts, RDLs. I'll tell you, like you said, the, the kids in the NBA, they're one or two years in college. I see, you see such the extreme. We see some that have no training age when they get to the NBA. So they're like warm clay and you're just ready to begin. And those guys are just starting with basic lunge patterns or walking split stance patterns where can they uh, lunge or split squat without their knee going valgus and going towards the midline. So we'll just start with them. But then you got guys that have really good strength and condition coaches, whether it be in high school and college where they have a training age of how old they are and they're ready for the next step. So a lot of times you just kind of learn that from just getting a couple workouts with them. Like we have a battery of tests we do at the end, you know, at the combine and we film everything so we can see how well they move. But, and then, you know, each team kind of has their own assessment they'll do for their team to see where they are. Like I'm sure you have, you know, baseline assessments you have as well. And, you know, we, we have one that we do and you'll see a lot of, some of them are under movement patterns. Some are just, how well can you just do a overhead squat body weight? How well can you just move your body? And so I think the principles, the tips for the youngest people coming in, that those high school kids who have dreams of going to the big step is learn how to do the, the basics first. Let's just work on single leg work, work on being able to balance your body, outload on it, being able to do like do a body weight squat, do different type of tempos. As we know, there's so many different ways we can, the dials, you know, we talk about the dials and, you know, in, in the Gray Institute and things we can do, but learn to do basic movement patterns, adjusting all, you know, learning different ways of tweaking the same movement before you go on to all these crazy things people post on Instagram and social media all over just because they look great. I tell you, I, I had a buddy of mine who I coached with. He had this son who's like 10, 11 years old, was doing just all kinds of work on a, uh, a what was it called? The, uh, what's the jump? The Vertimax, they had him doing all crazy stuff on the Vertimax, but the kid definitely has never done a squat, a single leg squat. 
He's folding at the back. He's just doing all kinds of fletching, just tearing himself apart. And I called his dad because he posted like he was doing great. I called the dad. I said, listen, your, your son right now is, you're putting him in. These are where the itises begin. These are where the tendinosis, the tendinitis start coming, where you get these overuse injuries because people are, are doing high level plyometrics and exercises, but they don't have the fundamental skill and strength of those movements. You got to walk before you run. And I said, listen, I want him to be able to do the, before he's in there doing it in a, what's it called again? I keep forgetting the, uh, Vertimax. Vertimax. I keep wanting to say, I keep wanting to say Versa Climber. I don't know what, it, anyway, the Vertimax, just slow down. Just do it without the Vertimax first. Just do it without the Vertimax. You don't need to do it on a 10 year old kid with the Vertimax right now. You know, at the end of the day, it's not rocket science. Just starting basic movements, jumping, single leg jumping, two foot, single foot, and all, you know, forward to back, side to side, rotational work. Just learn to do the basic movements and all be able to lunge forward, lunge backwards, lunge to the side, lunge to the other side, lunge in diagonal patterns. Learn how to move and control those basic movements before we start doing it with all this crazy load. That's the biggest thing. You mentioned testing. Is there a test that you like to be able to test agility or quickness besides the lane agility? I know that's one that's kind of been used in the NBA combine for a lot of years. Well, we kind of stopped using, you know, when you deal with agility, the truth is the lane agility, it, we change it to call the pro lane drill. Because it's, you know, more of a true agility test is not going to take 10 to 12 seconds, which is what that test takes. That test is more about movement quality. It's about, it's around the lane. It's seeing them do the four basic movements. You know, you know, you got your slide left, slide right, sprint back pedal. You know, we don't have anything. There's no reaction to it yet. Um, we're able to see how well they move in those basic patterns. But we do have a, a really good agility draw. I like to do at this level. It's adjusted five ten five. It's actually called the called the NBA short shuttle, and it's um in the NBA lane, and it's done with electronic timers. And we have the Fusion Sport has two. You react you react to a light, and then what you do is you go across the lane. So you're starting in middle of the lane. You go across the lane through the lane, all the way back to the other side, and then you finish in the middle where you started. Kind of like a five ten five. It's a basically two and a half five two and a half is really what it is. But we like it because it's pretty specific to basketball because it could be a ball was swung and swung against. So you react to where, so let's say the right light goes on. You got to react to that, go to that side first. Oh, shoot. They just reverse the ball. Then you touch the lane with whatever, with, you, with your foot. Then you turn and you got to sprint back to the other side. You get in a help position. And then maybe they drive and then you finish with a sprint back to the middle. So I like that test. Once again, it adds a little extra skill component with reaction. We do that. That's been at the combine now, I think about seven years, five, six, seven years we added that one. I don't do a lot of agility tests. I think the exercise is a test. And that's kind of where I'm going with that is I think like I'll assess them by doing agility work, but being able to understand my progressions and regressions on an exercise, I don't need to have a standardized test. I think I'll just train you and I want to see how well you move in is playing doing these foot patterns. And I can tell pretty much right away with the trend die, like, you know what, you're ready to do certain things, or maybe you're not. Is there a number that's going to tell me how good you are? With agility is a little more difficult than strength, right? But I can do the same with strength, like strength. Like I'll find out pretty quick how strong you are just by getting you in the, in the workout. I love it, man. Well, I'm going to let you go because I know you're waiting on dinner and you're going to be hanging out with my man, Lenny Parasino. Lenny Parasino. Fellow, fellow podcaster. He was on a few previous episodes ago. So tell him I said oh, he hi. Was? I will. Yeah. So great catching up with you and um, hopefully you can do this soon. Good luck. And we don't even need luck. Just take care of business. No, game just take four. care of business. I appreciate it, Mike. Now that's a wrap on episode 45. And I hope you'll join me next week where I interview author and motivational speaker, Jake Kelfer. He's a master at making personal connections 
And so we spend the entire episode talking about how athletes can strengthen relationships and build networks that will not only enhance their basketball journey, but set them up for success after their playing career is done. And if you haven't already, head to hoopcommitment.com and download your free commitment calendar. Whether you want to build muscle, burn fat, tighten up your ball handling, or just learn a new skill, the best way to guarantee success is to make a daily commitment. And to all of you who are committed, well, earn your X.